We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Project 24 rolls on as Arsenal come back from Newcastle with all three points, but without a chief executive. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We are not going to talk about Ivan Gazidis today. We're just not going to do it. Uh, Maybe we'll touch on it briefly. Maybe we'll do a special separate podcast uh, once we've had some time to think about it. But the fact is, Arsenal's chief executive is no more. He will be leaving for AC Milan. And let me be the first to say... Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you, Ivan. Goodbye, and thanks for the memories. Um, but enough about that. A couple of things to mention. Uh, we did a halftime show this weekend. We're going to try to do those as often as possible, and thanks for everyone who joined us. It was a lot of fun. We have posted the recording on Patreon, but we posted it for free. So even if you're not a Patreon member, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Arsenal Vision Podcast and listen to the halftime show, which might be interesting because at halftime, as you can imagine, we weren't really enjoying it. So... Something to think of there. And if you have signed up for our Patreon, thank you so much. Uh, We will have more uh, with Clive and Paul coming up. But we are going to start with Adrian Clark. Adrian Clark uh, is someone who I have been so excited to speak to on this podcast. And uh, we'll kick it off with him. Then we'll take a break after that. And then we'll talk to Clive and Paul about the game as well there too. So lots coming up. I want to tell you about something else right now, though. I have been very fortunate to be asked to write for a website called The Athletic, and it is a really special website. So it's theathletic.com. Uh, they are a subscription-based publisher, but no pop-ups, no ads, no autoplay videos, no listicles. It's not a bunch of transfer speculation and game recaps. It's real articles uh, written by some very prestigious writers 
but also me. Uh, James from Gunnerblog is writing for them. They have great Arsenal coverage. Mike Goodman, who you heard on this podcast, the managing editor of StatsBomb, writes for them. Graham Hunter writes for them. He has an article up now that's fantastic about the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry and where that goes from here. Uh, I recently wrote an article about the Ramsey contract saga and how we've been bad at selling. And ironically, I had one in the hopper about Ivan Gazidis, and that'll be coming out shortly. So would love it if you would go there and subscribe, and they have been generous enough to come up with an offer just for the Arsenal Vision podcast. So if you go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision, that's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision, you'll get a free trial and 30% off. Um, you know, I, I just think we talk about this so much, but so much content that is out there, especially written content now is listicles, it's pop-up videos, it's a mess, it's hard to read. And so they have come out with something really special. Their coverage of other sports is unrivaled as well. They have incredible authors across all the sports. For football, George Qureshi from The Howler is actually their editor-in-chief. So they have a, a great head of the ship here, so to speak. And I think you're going to love the content that's out there. So if you want to sign up for it, it's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Go there now, sign up, do the trial, see what you think. Okay, joining me now is Adrian Clark. You can find him on Twitter at Adrian J. Clark. You can find his fantastic breakdown of each match uh, called The Breakdown, aptly, uh, on the official website. That would be Arsenal's website, arsenal.com. And it is just a pleasure to have him on. Adrian, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure, Elliot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad we got a chance to do this, especially after a victory, a victory uh, in Newcastle, no less, not the uh, 4-4 of years gone by, thankfully. Uh, Mesut Ozil not only made the trip, but scored a goal, so there's that. Uh, but it didn't start out looking so fantastic, and the first half was a tough watch. And I think as we look for evidence that the Emery plan is coming together, it was really tough to see what that plan was in the first half. And I'm kind of curious to get your opinion on why you think, especially in the buildup, we struggled so much for the first 45 minutes. Yeah, it was it was a strange game, wasn't it? It was it was pretty much a non-event, I have to say, in, in that first period. Um, first of all, I think if Unai Emery had the chance to to pick his starting eleven again, I, I do wonder if he would change it. I think that that Lucas Torreira had, had clearly, I think, done enough in in most fans' eyes to to gain a starting berth. And it was a big surprise that he didn't start. Uh, he corrected it, of course, at, at half time. So no, it's it was a it was a strange one. I think that the attitude wise, the 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 tempo was way too slow. I think that the team were very narrow. Probably the biggest tactical change at the moment, or the biggest tactical feature, is is the configuration of the midfield. And it's true, it's truth be told, I don't think that Unai Emery, although I've been a big fan of a lot of what he's done so far, I'm not sure he's fully got it to grips. He's still learning and understanding about the. The personnel. I just I don't think that the the strongest midfield has probably been been used yet or, or stumbled upon. So so I guess the best way to explain it at the moment is that it's it's kind of like a box, isn't it? I mean you've, you'll have seen it yourself in terms of the two central midfielders with Xhaka and Guendouzi, and then Ramsey and Urs were kind of playing ahead of them quite narrowly, um, and and it just. The balance just didn't seem yeah. to be right in the, in that first half. The team lacked width. Um, nobody you... was finding any kind of space. But I, I put I put the bulk of it down to the fact that the Arsenal just couldn't gain control of the game. And 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 I guess the Xhaka Guendouzi partnership in particular. I think Guendouzi Guendouzi plays quite wide for a central midfielder. Even though I've just said that that, that they've got those two in the middle. He, he, he tends to to pull to the right hand side quite a lot, um, and and stay deep. 
<laughs> without going into it too much detail, he, our, our midfielder were probably too deep in that first half, and there was a big disconnect. And, and basically, we couldn't get any control, and, and Newcastle were able to to actually dominate us, even though they didn't hurt hurt us. Yeah, they were able to dominate territory. So yeah, it was it was a disappointing first half. Thankfully, we did turn it around. Interestingly, I, I think sort of echoing that. 18% of our first half passes were in the final third, and that went up to 33% in the second half. So clearly, uh, you, you know, making more vertical passing, more direct, more of a, an impetus to get the ball into the final third. Uh, I think with Ganduzi sitting a little deeper and moving wider, a lot of the passes were just sliding back and forth between the center backs and the central midfielders. But one thing that I've noticed a lot, Adrian, is that since Mesut Ozil has come in uh, as a starter on the right in place of Mkhitaryan, we haven't seen the same dynamic attacking down Bellerin's side. And in the West Ham game, when Mkhitaryan started in that position, I think Mkhitaryan and Bellerin exchanged something like 27 passes, um, 11 of which were from Mkhitaryan to Bellerin. In this game, Mesut Ozil only gave the ball to, to Bellerin three times, um, and he seemed really isolated. And so we, we don't have that width, as you mentioned. And I'm wondering, in your mind, how much of this is down to the fact that we are playing players nominally as wide forwards who want to drift central and that means we don't we don't create those overlaps with the fullbacks of course uh, that is exactly the the issue at the moment and i fully understand why the manager would want to get Urzel and ramsey and Aubameyang into the same team but, but can he <laughs> that's really the well, question yeah i mean it, it's not an easy situation i think if, if the midfield two were were the right midfield two then it, it's possible but but I think there has to be a casualty, unfortunately, doesn't there? And and quite a high profile casualty as well, if you are to crowbar all those players in. You you're bang on about the the, the chemistry between Bayerin and Mikatarin is excellent. And together they've got good drive, good good energy down that right hand side. So I do think we missed that in this game uh, and in the game before actually. Um and and it, <laughs> Ramsey is the is the conundrum at the moment because because Emery seems intent on using him in a more advanced role. But I think most supporters, and I would count myself in this, would suggest that he's he's better coming from deep. I really love him as a as a box to box guy. As a pretty much an orthodox number eight midfielder. I just don't like him when it, he's he's already in advance of the ball. He doesn't seem as effective. So what's the answer? <laughs> For me, I th- I think against the big teams, the real uh, the toughest fixtures this year. I'd love to see a midfield three with with Torreira at the base and Xhaka and Ramsey either side. I think that will give us a really, really well-balanced platform, a strong platform without the ball. You've got Xhaka's range of passing, very proactive with the forward passes. I mean, he has played more than double the number of forward passes compared to any other midfielder in, in the Premier League this for Arsenal this season. So I think Jack is a key man. I also still still have faith in Ramsey to be a key man. His energy, his box, you know, breaking into the box and, and everything he brings I think is important. Torreira has to be the guy at the base. So if that's your three, then what are you doing front? <laughs> and that's and that is the issue. Do you you know do you do you use Meza Erzl? Why do you play a diamond? with Mesut Ozil in behind a front two. A lot of people seem to want that, but we haven't seen any indication that Emery is inclined to use it. Exactly. I would like to see it experimented with. I'd love to see it experimented with because I do think in Lacazette and Aubameyang, we've got two really mobile strikers. that with, One of them will run the channels and, and supply a little bit of width. Uh, Mesut Ozil will drift out wide. It's just 
that issue about the you know the fullbacks being isolated, and I think I think that is an issue, and that's why I think that the four two three one is probably the most balanced formation that we go with that 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 suits most of our players. Now, if we go with four two three one, Mikitarian makes that team for sure on the right. Urzu is the bona fide number ten. Abamyang coming in off the left for me is not a problem because he's got great chemistry, great interchanging skills with with Lacazette. I don't have a, an issue with that. It then means that you leave out a really good central midfielder, um, and and who would that be? Based on form, that would be Ramsey that, w- that would be left out. I think I think Granit Xhaka is coming into some good form. I thought he was probably our best player at, at Newcastle and. So therefore, yeah, it's Xhaka or Ramsey that sits out because I, I, for me that Torreira has shown enough that, that he deserves to, to be given a run. Yeah, I don't think you can argue that. I, I think also, look, if we are building for the future, if this is not just about immediate success, Ramsey is the one who does not have a contract currently or, or is at the end of one, and there's no mm. guarantee that his future's at Arsenal. So you need to build with the players that you know you're going forward with to some extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing we saw, I think it was more in the preseason than really during the season, but you know, when he did line up that way, there was sort of a right-side bias, and he tilted the whole pitch so that Aubameyang and, and Lacazette in the build-up and attacking phases sort of played like two strikers, and then uh, you'd have Ozil all the way out wide right or Mkhitaryan all the way out wide right, and they just sort of tilted the pitch to the right, and yes. then out of possession, rebalanced more where, where the players took up their more natural position. I mean, uh, the reason I bring this up is I am a person who believes that Aubameyang is elite as a center forward, but not more than good as a wide forward. And that Mm -hmm. if we're going to use him with Lacazette, it has to be as two strikers. And I just wanted to maybe get you to expand quickly on Aubameyang as a wide forward versus a center forward and whether you think we are getting the qualities out of the player that we we should be. Yes, good question. Um, The issue is Lacazette is on fire. Lacazette's form is superb and he deserves his place on merit. So... I just don't think you can leave him out at the moment. So, so does he go with the front two or does he go with the Aubameyang wide? The reason I've got not as much as an issue, perhaps as yourself, Elliot, with him coming in off the flank is because when we attack, he joins in as a second centre forward, pretty much as a as a matter of course, and he he will get into the enough good areas to to score and. And to contribute goals, we saw that at Cardiff, didn't we? Uh, yeah. Particularly in the second half. So, and we saw it during the, the latter stage of last season. I mean, he was out left, scoring a lot of goals and linking up quite brilliantly. I thought with Lacazette. So, so I don't have an issue with it. Of course, against certain opposition, it will mean that Aubameyang has to track back, and that's not it's not where you really want him. Um, the alternative, as you rightly point out, is to go with the front two. And we would all like to see it, I think, uh, particularly against easier opposition at Emirates Stadium. I think there's a great opportunity in the Europa League, potentially, or, or in, uh, against your, your Huddersfields, your, your Burnleys, I guess, at the moment, in terms of former at home, to just unleash it and to see if it works. Um, because on home turf, we'll have a lot of the ball, and I, I think Bayern and Montreal can get on and, and provide plenty of width if that was to be the case again Urzel is the issue <laughs> because because I, I've, I think I've seen enough of Urzel in the wide areas to know that he's not going to give you enough without the ball not against the very best sides so 
so I think he has to play at number ten, or or maybe maybe sit it out, which seems 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 criminal for a player of, of his talent. So that's why I think four three one two is a system that's well worth well worth trying. But look, if yeah. we, if we're going to go with the shapes we've seen so, so far, I'm okay with Aubameyang coming in off the left because I think he understands the role and. Even though I understand why people would say he, he would be wasted, you can't drop Lacazette at the moment. You just can't. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because I you look at Emery trying to build this team with his best players, but to try to put all his best players on the pitch, a lot of them are out of the position they'd naturally want to occupy. So mm. you have Mesedozo playing on the right, but wanting to drift central. Aubameyang playing on the left, but wanting to arrive in the box to get on the end of moves and drift central. Aaron Ramsey playing sort of as a 10, but wants to be a box-to-box 8. And none of these players necessarily look totally at home. And the one guy who you said is in great form, Lacazette, to be fair, he's the one guy playing in the position he really wants to be in. Um, mm. And he's thriving there. And so it is a challenge. I think, you know, uh, Ramsey had no shots in this game. And, mm. you know, for me, if you're playing Aaron Ramsey and he's not getting into the box and, and getting shooting opportunities and scoring chances, you're not getting the best of what Aaron Ramsey can provide. So, you know, I, I do think it comes down to a choice between Ozil and Ramsey at some level, and, and Aubameyang and Lacazette at another level. And if you want to put all of them on the pitch, you're maybe going to get 70% of the best of a, a group, group of them. And so that's, you know, I think open for debate whether that's for the best. Before we uh, move on to what worked in the second half, and I think a lot of that is obviously going to focus on Torreira, um, you know, I'm just really, really quickly want to get your thoughts on him sticking with Petr Cech. I think... You know, Leno is obviously not an inexpensive purchase this summer. We haven't seen him yet. There's a good chance we'll see him against Vorskla. I think I'm saying that right uh, on Thursday. <laughs> but I mean, how surprised are you that he hasn't gotten in there yet? And are are you more on the side of the argument that Czech has done nothing wrong and deserves to keep his place, or would you like to see that switch made? I was extremely surprised. First match of the season, Petr Cech started ahead of Leno because. Arsenal bought a new goalkeeper for a reason and, and, and the reason was that they felt they could upgrade and, and that Petter had made too many mistakes last year and I think he did make a higher proportion of mistakes than than he had done during the early stage of his career but, and this is a big but, during pre-season there was very little to choose between the two but if you had to pick on current form you would have gone with Petr Cech because I think he excelled more in pre-season. So, so he was fair. I think he judged the two at face value and he picked Petr Cech on form. Now, we know that he's given up, he looks a bit uncomfortable with the, with, the, with the setup of passing out from the back. He's made a few high-profile slip-ups. But I still think that, that his goalkeeping, the quality of his goalkeeping, has, has outweighed those negatives. And I genuinely don't think he des- deserves to be dropped. I don't think he's even close to being dropped. That is my honest opinion. I think actually his goalkeeping has been terrific. His handling, superb. He's, he's pulled off some some fabulous saves. It is just those three or four moments where he's looked shaky with the ball at his feet, and I, I trust that he will improve. Yeah, um, it, it's tough, ball- right? Because if if you if you make a couple spectacular saves, but also by playing the ball with your feet poorly, you concede chances that are guilt edge chances. On balance, have you? Are you helping the team or hurting the team? It's it's a difficult yeah. question to answer. It it is, um, and but, but but Arsenal are a work in progress. And what I will say is that the back passes to him have not been good. True, I think that the pass appreciation is something that's overlooked quite often. He's a left-footed keeper. A lot of the passes have been fizzed into him where he has to take two touches, or he's been on his right foot when he's been under pressure. Um, 
I think at Newcastle I saw signs that he was more than happy just to just to leather it sometimes. <laughs> um, and it's just all about selection, isn't it, in the right moments. And Emery does not want him to take chances when when he could just boot it. You know, it, it, it's obvious, it's logical that, yes, you want to play out from the back, but sometimes it's just better to, to clear your lines. And I just think that him and the defence are working on it and that they will get better. So, so I would always pick a keeper based on on their goalkeeping ability and I think we just have to trust Emery here and he sees them in training every day and he's going he's going with Czech uh, he, he believes that he's playing better Le- Leno if he gets the opportunity in the cup competitions has got to be brilliant and if he is brilliant then then he will apply pressure to Czech and, and they, I guess they're just waiting for him to, to make one or two mistakes but, but of course we don't want those to happen Yeah and look the backup striker the backup keeper these are often the most popular guys at the club right um, and there's just an assumption that they will come in and fix everything that's wrong when all too often the truth is that they have their own flaws I think the interesting thing with going long versus short is you know a check again 18 of 20 on short passes not bad 5 of 13 on long passes and that's been consistent all season when we've gone long the ball's been coming right back to us so there's definitely a benefit to playing short and keeping possession because we're not keeping possession well when he kicks long so when, when we nail when we nail it when when everybody is more comfortable with this playing out from the back we will be fantastic at it we, we are Arsenal are one of the most composed teams in the Premier League in possession Arsene Wenger taught the players to to receive the ball in in tight areas that's not an issue it's just it's just the change and what's being asked of them. I think there are bound to be teething problems. Um, I expect to see improvement upon improvement in that area from Czech and from the defenders. So, look, these are professional footballers. They're not, you know, nobody can tell me that they're not capable of playing out from the back in a in a really calm, slick way. And when that happens, I think we we will really really enjoy the football. Yeah, and I think Torreira will help that too because I think he's just a little quicker to release the ball. Um, I think we have players who want an extra touch and he he seems willing to release it first time, which is really helpful playing out. Um, and also I think can, you know, with the ball at his feet, carry it past uh, a press. He's, you know, he's a little more press resistant than maybe Ganduzi and Chaka. So that, that should help as well. All right, in typical uh, Elliot brand, I have spent three quarters of the time on the negatives. So now we can get to the positives real quick uh, with our last couple of minutes here, fleeting minutes. Um the second half was a huge improvement. Obviously, go on to win away. It's it's a third win on the spin, consecutive away wins as well. Uh, and Torreira, once again, makes a big, big difference. So if you could just explain uh, for the layperson like myself what it was about Torreira's uh, impact and involvement that, that changed the, the pattern of play. Well, you touched on it there. He's very, very quick at releasing the ball. One and two touch, and he's, very, he's just such a busy player, isn't he? He, he added tempo to the team he made Arsenal far more assertive and I think just through his style and the fact that he stays down the centre of the pitch and he, he pulled Jacqueline alongside him I just felt that we were much more assertive and and it and their presence their their grip of the engine room just helped push us 10-15 yards further up the pitch and because Torreira and others around them I think fed off of his bubbliness everything was done brighter in that second half and higher up the pitch. Part, we, we wouldn't need more turnovers. Those turnover passes were released quicker into the forwards, and suddenly there was the space that opened up for the forward guys. I, you know, In this week's breakdown, I talk about the front four. I think they had 12 touches, or 12 to 14, I can't remember exactly, inside the final 25 yards of the pitch in the first half. The front four, whoever they were during the course of the second half, 
had 36. It almost tripled. Mm-hmm. So it just we pushed up that pitch. It was really, really important to do that. Um, and, and I just feel that the minds were, were much, much sharper and brighter in the, in the second period. It was, it was a far better attitude. But without doubt, the catalyst and the spark for that change was was Torreira, who yeah, he's just he's just a vivacious character, and and I like the way that his first instinct is to, is to is, he will go backwards, but where possible he'll fizz balls forward, nice and early, releasing the the key players in the right areas at the right times. Um, yeah, for me, I think he has to be a must pick moving forwards. Yeah, it certainly seems so. And Shaka was a lot more involved, made a lot more passes uh, in the yeah. second half, whereas in the first half it was split more evenly with Gunduzian. Just it really, was. you go ahead, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that the other change that I noticed, I referenced this briefly in the breakdown, is that, is that we picked down more longer passes. In, in the first half, everything was too safe. It was five-yard passes, 10-yard passes, square passes. I think in the first period, 7.2% of the passes were long. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. If it, Providing you're playing quick football, we weren't. We weren't making any inroads. In the second half, 14% of our passes went long. It, it pr- practically doubled. And and the reason that it worked was because those longer passes were played early for runners in behind. So, so yeah, I think, I think the whole, the general sharpness of the team created more space. And because players have more time to look up and pick the right passes, the longer balls um, paid off whether they were on the floor or in the air. So, no, everything was better about the second half. It, it was actually easy. I think Arsenal breezed past Newcastle, really, in that in that second period. Not too many individuals, I, I would say, were above a six and a half out of ten, seven out of ten. They didn't it was, really need to be. <laughs> no, they didn't need to be. Um, it, was, it was a strange game in many respects. But the collective performance in the second half was was what Emery would have wanted. And, and I think it was promising. Yeah, just a little extra verticality to the passing, right? I, I wonder if sometimes with Ganduzi and Shaka, they play on plane a little bit too much and Torreira yeah. lets Shaka get between the lines a little more, so there's a little more verticality oh, yeah, there. for sure. I mean, Xhaka can worry less about defending when he knows that the Torreira is there. So he can he can focus his mind on on those forward passes. And as, as I've explained, he's an excellent forward passer. Yes, he'll give some away, but you need somebody to play those brave passes forward. A um, lot more ver- verticality in that second period, as you, as you rightly said. I also felt that Mkhitaryan made a difference when he came on. I think just having someone that drives at defenders with the ball at their feet makes a difference. Um, a player natural in the channels, in the half spaces, which we don't have yeah, a lot of. <laughs> yeah, another player I would pick out for, for praise in that, in that game was Socrates as well. I, th- I think yes. that he, he had his strongest performance so far. And what what I would say about him is that his cover play was was just terrific. Um, he, he read the danger. I mean, Mustafi put him in know, some. <laughs> did, his way. Uh, did, did make one or two errors, <laughs> but whenever he did, whenever he did, Socrates was there. And look, this is a guy that I thought looked pretty slow in the first few games, but but his speed across the turf, the way he read play, was excellent. And I'm seeing an improvement game on game from Socrates. So. So for for me at the moment he he's our number one centre back and the the big question I think moving forward is who 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 will be his partner. 
Yeah, totally agree. Well, well said. I uh, want to be respectful of your time, as I mentioned, and I think we're running up against <clears throat> the amount of time we had we had agreed on discussing. Okay. So I will uh, I will wrap it up there. But I do want to insist that everybody listening, uh, if you are listening, you probably already have watched the breakdown from Adrian uh, on the Arsenal website. But if you haven't, you should definitely do that. And of course, you should be following him at Adrian J Clark on Twitter. Adrian uh, can't tell you what a pleasure it was, and hopefully, we'll get a chance to do it again. Yeah, let's do it again later in the season. Not a problem at all. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And we will take a short break. When we come back, uh, the regular crew will be here. Sorry, nothing can be done about that. And we will discuss maybe uh, Ivan Gazidis as briefly as possible and then a little more about the match. Stay with us. But right now, it's time to tell you about our favorite monthly craft beer discovery club. In fact, it is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club, beer52.com. You're going to want to go to beer52.com forward slash vision right now. The reason you're going to want to do that is you're going to get a free case of craft beer. Free a free case of craft beer. You're even going to get a copy of Ferment Magazine and a snack. So you're getting all that for free. Just pay £2.95 shipping and you'll be upgraded to free next day shipping, which is great. Eight incredible craft beers, a magazine, a snack, no-brainer. And I know all about no-brainers. Trust me, I have no brain. In any event, this is a chance for you to discover some of the best beers from around the world. And right now you get to take advantage of uh, the Raise the Bar competition, Beer 52 search for the UK's best new small brewers in partnership with the London Craft Beer Festival. So you'll enjoy the likes of Unity's 7% Export Stout, Boxcar's Belgian IPA, and West by Three's Mothership with Passion Fruit. It's only available in the UK, which makes me very sad, but if you live in the UK, it should make you very happy because by going to beer52.com forward slash vision, not only do you make us happy podcasters, but you make yourself a happy owner of free craft beer. And so that is obvious. By the way, uh, one thing we love about beer52.com, they have a five-star rating on Trustpilot, so you know you are going with a very trustworthy company. Again, the most popular monthly craft beer delivery service, so take advantage of it. Beer52.com forward slash vision. Go there right now. Get your free case of craft beer. You're going to love it. Okay, we're back with the headliners. The real stars of the show, of course, are here. Clive is on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. All right, so Project 24 rolls on. Um, I mean, we're, we're now down to Project 15, and that seems doable. Why not? Uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to get a third win on the spin, a second consecutive away win. Um, this game, I am reliably informed, had two halves. If ever there was a game that had two halves, this game definitely had two halves. And I want to do something, Paul, instead of complaining that Torreira didn't start or analyzing Torreira not starting because we've kind of taken a lot of bites of that apple. What I'd rather do is get your opinion why you think he didn't start. In other words, obviously Emery has a reason behind it. Um, and I, I think it's hard to deny the impact he's had. So if you just had to reach into Emery's brain and pull out the reasoning, sort of like one of those things in the Harry Potter novels and put it into one of those things in the Harry Potter novels and look at the thing and then the thing would tell you, what would the thing tell you was the reason? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, basically... The pensive. I, That's what the thing in the Harry Potter novel is called. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, right. So, um, basically, I don't really know why he's doing what he's doing. When I look at the what he said, it always has a tone of, I bring Terrera on in the second half because we needed more control. It's almost as if he's saying... I'll give up a little bit of what I was originally looking for when I drew up the team sheet. Um, We were too vulnerable, too exposed, so I'll dial it back a bit. And yet when I watch how we play with Torreira, if anything, it seems to free us up to play more Emery ball, not less. 
And it may just be a learning process that how it looks on paper isn't how it plays out. Uh, obviously, Genduzi and Chaka we fought, saw in the first half. And what you saw with the two of those is players who were fairly symmetrical in how they played the game. Similar numbers of touches. Uh, Chaka had a few more and a few more passes, but but largely equivalent and equivalent in where they played the game as well and uh, geographically and up and down the pitch. And then Torreira comes on and a totally different profile where Chaka is literally uh, passing 50% or sorry, 100% more than Torreira, double his numbers or close to it. And his overall passing numbers shoot up to where he's doing 20 to 23, 25% of our total passes for outfield players in the in that period in the second half, especially the, the 20, 25 minutes after the halfway mark. Um, and in the first half, he's doing about 17%. So he goes from 17% to 20, basically close to 25%, a quarter of all our passes when Torreira comes on. And I kind of looked into that because when I looked at Torreira coming on, I'd gotten the impression he was really pinging it around. I expected his numbers to show he was basically our biggest passer in the game. Uh, maybe my biases, but that's not what it showed at all. He, he actually passed slightly less than Ganduzi. Uh The big change was Chaka, and he enabled Chaka. And maybe that wasn't uh, Emery's game plan, but um, it seems to change drastically, even though they play in the same uh, geographic location, Torreira and Ganduzi, the profile of what they do, the radius they stick within is totally different. The kinds of passes they tried to play on the day were significantly different. We all saw Torreira kept it really simple, pinged it around quickly and kept it simple, laid it off to Chaka or whoever, but mostly Chaka. And Chaka, Chaka lit it up in the second half. In the first half, he was fairly equally balanced with Genduzi, and yeah. it didn't work as well for us. Yeah, we touched on it a little early in the podcast with Adrian, but there definitely was more of a an ability for Chaka to play between the lines a little bit, and and more advanced of Torreira at times in the second half, and they just generally pushed up more. And I think that's great to see. But Clive, I, I mean, I guess. I'll give you a chance at this also. For me, Thank you. if the issue isn't that he doesn't trust Torreira, and if the issue isn't that Torreira isn't fit to start, and it may well be that, then I really, I'm really not sure what the issue is. I mean, again, it's a halftime substitution, which suggests that he felt the change was important enough to make to do it that quickly. There has to be something that he sees in Ganduzi and Chaka together that he wants to see from the start. And I guess where I'm struggling is just to understand what that thing is. So, I mean, okay. if, if, you're, if you're putting forward the most supportive argument for having Ganduzi and Chaka on from the start, what would that argument be? So I, I, just, I just try to guess, right, and project a little sure. bit. Sure, yeah, think, that, that'd um, be perfect. Thank you. I think um, Chaka and Ganduzi are quite similar. And uh, they do like a left and right pivot. And they're quite relaxed, and there's a calmness about them, right? So, I think, um, you know, I said on Saturday, didn't I, that um, they play a little bit like Bob Marley. They're a little bit cool, they're a little bit calm. And I think the team takes on that persona. And I'm not sure it suits the group. But the game is 90 minutes, right? So, let's go to someone's house. Let's calm the thing down. Let's move the ball around in a nice, controlled way. And then, in the second half now we go a little bit different. 
And he's been a number of times he's made half-time substitutions. So, by the way, Wenger's 70 minutes might be... It's changed now. Now we've got 45 minutes when we, we develop a different plan in the second half. And the big difference between uh, Granduzzi and um, Torreira is pace of pass. And it's interesting that, Paul, you felt the influence was bigger. You expected the numbers to be bigger. Mm. The reason why you felt that is that every time he got it, his influence on the game was significant. So he was turning and punching the ball. If you if you watch him, how he follows his pass, and it creates movements, creates moves people around, and then other people start moving. So everything looked quicker. He's like, get it, punch it, follow it, punch it, follow it. And suddenly the whole, if you could compare the two halves, pace of pass was completely different and once the ball starts moving quicker then you're really working to Arsenal's skill set because we've got a number of players that have got a fantastic first touch who received the ball beautifully so you've got to test those players with quality of pass I feel we're, when we're slower Newcastle can drop into their lines and I feel a little bit harder and then we're we're receiving the ball standing and square and getting dispossessed it all looks looks a bit clunky and incoherent. As soon as you start popping the ball around, then everything goes up in intensity and the better players look better. And the players not so good go onto their heels and they start to get a defensive mindset. And that's all that changed me. As soon as we sped it up, we were different. And I think, I, you know, we all looked at him and say he's a little bit like Kante and and he is. He sprints to he sprints to fires and he puts them out. So well, we could all see that, right? But his influence on our pattern and pace of pass reminds me very much like when Cesc Fabregas first came into the team. When he got the ball, everyone trusted him and started moving. And I always think, you know, I've heard me say a million times, the best judge of players are players and they move and they and they go when they know someone's going to do something. I, I tell you what, he, has got, he looks like... When he's on the pitch, suddenly we have two leaders in the middle of the, in the middle of the park, and they just set the tone left and right, punching the ball really quickly, and we you know we could all see the difference in the whole tempo of the game completely changed in the second half. So I, as for him not starting, early, I'm not. I'm not concerned about that. I've been listening to the radio a lot today, and everyone's talking about the Tottenham players who are who are dying on their feet because he he can't afford to rest a few of them. We just got to trust the guy that he knows what he's doing. If you look at Eden Hazard, he didn't start the first few games. He's only just started the games now. The kid's 22, just arrived in his country, barely speaks the language. He's settling him in. I think he signed a five-year contract. Was it? Mm-hmm. So five years, five games. I can wait, mate. I yeah. can wait for him to start. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come. Look, I mean, you can make an argument that what's happened here, whether we like it or not, I mean, we've we've gotten through the last three games with victories, even though we've had to make some changes and bring Torreira on at halftime in a couple of these. But if we're saving his legs, and if there is some thought that, you know, he played a lot of football in the summer, and maybe they've assessed him as being a little bit in that fabled red zone, if this saves him for later in the season so that he can play more minutes for us, you know, on the business end, then I don't think anybody will be complaining. I guess it's just difficult for me to assess what the Genduzi shaka partnership brings that, unless it's a fitness issue, Emery sees as being somehow superior to what Torreira would bring by being in there. And it may just be that, you know, he wants Genduzi to feel integrated into the squad. He doesn't want to hurt the kid's confidence by pulling him out just yet, and he wants to give him a run. I don't know. I mean, Paul, any final he's thoughts? he's actually been playing very well, hasn't he? Oh, I don't think the he's Genduzi. been poor. I think the yeah. challenge is that 
in Shaq and Ganduzi, you have similarities. I mean, I don't think either of them moves the ball very quickly. As we've been saying, Torreira moves it a lot more quickly. I think Ganduzi. What's funny is what I loved about him in the preseason, his ability to take a step forward into the midfield and then distribute between the lines, break the lines, vertical passing. He's been a little more circumspect. He's been a little more careful in in the season. And I think he's defaulted just a little bit more to going back to the center backs, to not taking a step around the pressure, to not breaking the lines as much. And so, you know, I mean, yeah. I, we can all remember uh, what to- was the game. So- was it the Chelsea game where he delivers that beautiful uh, line splitting ball to Bellerin for the pullback to Aubameyang? Is that that's a Ganduzi pass, I believe. Yep. And that's the thing yeah. we saw in the preseason that we loved about him. I think subsequently we've seen a more conservative Ganduzi, and maybe that's part of the problem. Yeah, and I think it's reflective of the fact that Newcastle had 10 players, including two st- their two forwards behind the ball. So those spaces for Ganduzi weren't there. In fact, you'd often find him out by the, f- the full back spot with Bellerin, say, pushed up. So he wasn't getting the between-the-lines positioning. He didn't have the same sp- spaces before. Uh, I do think part of it is... Uh, Ganduzi's been playing very well, and there's no no reason based on his performance that uh, the manager feels he should drop him. But I think maybe through trial and error, it'll become as plain as the nose on his face that what the answer he's really looking for starts with Torreira. And I, I think we saw in this game and in the Cardiff game, within five minutes of Torreira coming on and him pinging it side to side and uh, putting his foot on the ball and the opposition looking to press him, suddenly realizing there's no point in pressing Torreira, suddenly they start dropping off him. Um, And he can start distributing basically Chaka and everybody else. And suddenly everybody has time. It's easier to play the ball out from the back. So he's he really does... It'll be different when he starts because he'll maybe be against an even more aggressive and intense press and a higher energy level from the opposition but in both games he's basically coming in on after the half so they should be fairly well rested starting the the start of the second half but we won't know till we see it but he does seem to take the heat out of the press within the first few minutes in both games he pings it around and they drop off yeah, I was going to say, Paul, that's because he does things fast, really yeah. fast, really energetic, and he, and he drives he drives fear behaviour in the opposition, right? So I, there's room for both of them. And we have to remember, we've had, we've had a number of away games, and I think um, we've got four home games coming up. It'll be interesting to see how Granduzzi plays in those games and, and see if he develops in a slightly different way in a home environment, right? Let's remember every single ground is new. Every environment is new. I, I'm I'm not you know rushing on this one. I just think they're two young players into our midfield and we like them both. I think I'm not rushing to the first eleven if you tell me that I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not desperate to see it in September. I want to see it develop. There are, there are a couple of players that are there's one player that's injured um, in Maitland Niles. There's another one in Iwobi's had some bright moments that seem to drop out of a game for illness. There's other players that are out there that are going to push these guys, you know, really hard in the next in the next couple of months. And the team that we think is the top team now may not be the top team in January, right? So let's see how it all settles. I'm prepared to wait. Uh, while we're winning, by the way, we lost yeah. the weekend. <clears throat> yeah. well, a while, look, guys, know? could I make a point on that? I, I'd rather well, you I didn't, 100%, but fire away. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go for it. While I 
agree with Clive in every other position. Right now, the one position where I don't think we should wait is this one because it changes everything in front and at the back of it. I, um, I'm well, hoping what we're seeing is real, and I hope the penny drops for Emery. I don't mean any disrespect to the man. He is a hell of a lot brighter than I am, but I still think on paper he thinks it's going to turn out one way, and in reality, Torreira is the guy that enables this first phase of Emery ball. So this is the one position I really hope uh, he doesn't experiment with too much more for a little while. I think the problem you have here is that the emphasis on the uh, Genduzi, Shaka, Torreira situation is taking the focus off of what is really a dysfunction in front of them. And the first half was really uh, incoherent in a lot of ways. And thankfully it did improve. And I thought Newcastle offered very, very little and even less after the half. But you look at the Aubameyang, Lacazette, Ozil, Ramsey situation, and none of it seems to be working for me. I mean, Ozil played the whole game and, and completed 33 passes. We're not used to that. <clears throat> Aaron Ramsey, no shots, which is not what you want from a player who one of his really important qualities is being able to arrive in the box and, and score. Aubameyang is really struggling to get chances from those key positions that he likes. And Lacazette is thriving, but he's really the one guy playing in his preferred position. And so, uh, Paul, stay with you just for a second. There's a lot of square pegs and round holes here, and I guess, you know, I, I want to sort of introduce a, a new concept here, and we'll call it one tip. It's one tip for Emery, and if you had one thing you could say to Emery, one suggestion, and he would take it, other than the Torreira thing, which we've covered extensively, what one thing would you suggest that he change or he do to get the best out of this team that he's not getting right now? That's a good question. Apart from the Torreira thing, I'd say the Torreira thing. Yeah, apart, I, from, apart from that yeah. twice, yes. <laughs> but I think it's huge because you saw players like Chaka, Ramsey, etc. all starting to make sense for 20, 25 minutes. At I the don't know of the that I totally half. agree. I, you know, it's, it's funny, right? I mean, and I'm not trying but, to shit on this performance. less dysfunctional, I would yes. say. Yes, oh, absolutely. He definitely improved that. But I still think that Mkhitaryan coming on, we looked better. Uh, Danny Welbeck coming on, I think we looked look better still. I think... You know, we are still not getting much from Hector Bellerin, who was yeah. very, very isolated. I mean, the biggest yeah. difference... Look, so, I, Yeah, go ahead. Look, look I, I think you gave me my clue there, which is Mkhitaryan, as I call him, the forgotten man, because at every opportunity, we seem to forget Mkhitaryan. And, you know, Hector's been kind of hung out to dry on that wing without Mkhitaryan. There's nobody to work with him. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't make Mustafi look much better either. Not that he needs some help sometimes to look bad, but you know that's where you see the biggest gap between uh, fullback and centre back, where we seem to have the most trouble. Our attacks seem to come down the left the last few games for maybe the apparent reason that Aubameyang is there and Nacho's technically gifted and Chaka's over that side and he's paying most of the passes, but it means this whole. Right wing is dysfunctional. Ozil immediately moves inside and nobody to link up to Bellerin. And, you know, we've given up temporarily the last couple of games on Mkhitaryan. And I think it's a huge loss. And I think he provided much more balance and much more of a counterpoint. And I can see no reason why we should move away from Mkhitaryan right now. And I think that would provide much more balance and structure. And, of course, I have thoughts on Lacazette. I thought Lacazette was great in this game, though I personally want to see Aubameyang start most of our games at centre-forward. I thought he was excellent in the first yeah. half, in particular when 
for this area of the pitch and those players you listed off, he was the one where I thought, actually, he is a stormer. Yeah, I, well, what I would say ultimately for me is that, and, and I, I said this earlier in the podcast, but it's easy to like what Lacazette is doing when he's the one player playing where he'd prefer to play. You know what I mean? Like, Ramsey's getting sort of shoehorned into a weird number 10 role he doesn't love, and Ozil's out on the right but wanting to drift central, and Aubameyang's on the wing and wanting to come back in and, and be a center forward, and there's Lacazette playing number 9, and it's working um, for him. But I don't know that it's working for anybody else. So, Clive, I mean... The, it, the one yep. thing I would say, he's playing a hell of a lot better than last year doing it. I mean, he's, a, he's sprinting, he's powerful, he's confident. Sorry, Clive. No, go ahead. So, Cl- Clive, if you could give one tip to Emery and say, hey, and again, the Terrera thing aside, although if you'd like to not put it aside and refer to it the way Paul did, certainly be my guest. But if you'd be so bold, is there one tip you would give Emery that you think would be getting more out of the team right now? Okay, if I make the assumption that we're going to be a 4-2-3-1 team, um, if I make that assumption, um, then I would say to him, play Meza Ozil as your number 10. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's, Simple as that. Just playing there, you're allowed one free spirit. You've got a formation that says we need an intelligent player to play in that role, an intelligent player that actually facilitates in that role. And I think, I don't like the formation, but if you're going to play it, play the guy in number 10 on his back, in number 10, and, and, and that's it. And everyone else has got to work around that. And then if he drifts off the right wing, we don't lose our fullback, who's a very dangerous player that gets in behind. We're getting a few more combinations on the left-hand side because Aubameyang's a bit more disciplined. But he disappears as well. But what Ozil very, does very well is he creates partnerships all over the pitch. But he needs to be free to do it. And we need to be allow him to do it. So, you know, I think, you know, it's a big part of me that wants this team to move beyond Ozil and Ramsey. I want us to move into a different direction because we've had, you know, I believe that football is one for the analysts. Um, I've seen even that League Two clubs have 15 analysts analysing games. If you give people the same scenario to fix, they will find a, they'll find a way to stop us. I think turnover players should be far, far more rapid unless you're on the upward curve. And I, I'd like to see the club change direction in those roles. But if they're going to keep one, they've made the investment in one, then let's invest in him properly, positionally. We've invested in him financially. So let's do so, right? So um, on the, you know, sometimes when you're analysing the game, you know, every game has its story. And we're looking at things that changed in the second half and there's a lot more urgency. We know the thing that always dictates the story of a game and that's a goal. When Shaka scored that goal, everything changed from that moment onwards, and that should have been three or four. Yeah, right? we, we so, dominated them after that, and I think they also lost can, whatever little... Can I disagree? Uh, yeah, pl- please. Why Why would you disagree? <laughs> it had already changed. I mean... Yeah, oh, I did, yeah, of, I did, of course. Say, yeah. I did say... From, I did say, from I did zero say, second of I did 45 say, minutes. I did yeah. say we had an increased urgency in the second half immediately. But then when the goal went in, then the flow started. We were then started to be more more sort of mobile, more rotational, and we started to trust each other more offensively. And it just all looked quicker and more certain and more assured. So I think we come out of the second half with a, with a, with a this is our time now. And within a few minutes, we've scored and we've built on it and built on it and built on it. But I think goals really do sustain confidence and sustain 
what you want, you know, the offensive feel of a game. And, and I just think we almost underestimate the, the importance of it. I know we all know that goals win matches, but just watch the change in behaviours of so many players when we wound up going for that second goal. Then when we got the second, how we looked post then. And, and I just think, you know, I'm pleased that Torreira's come on and, and been the spark to that. But he wasn't the only spark. There were a number of players up their game in that second half, and it was um, it was nice to see. Yeah, it was. Look, I, ultimately, we just have a lot of players that I think are not playing in the areas where they're comfortable. And in the second half, I think they got into areas where they're a little more comfortable, and it made a lot of difference, and Torreira was a big part of that. You know, I think if I was giving um, one tip to Emery myself, it would just be, if this is the system you want to play, you have to pick the players that fit the system and, and not just pick the, the biggest names in the team. Because I agree with you. I think it has to be Mesut Ozil at 10. It has to be Mkhitaryan uh, on the right. It has to be maybe even a Wobi on the left. And one of Lacazette or Aubameyang up front. And I might try Ramsey in a midfield two with uh, Torreira. I'd be open to that if it's not Shaka. Although I think you need some of that vertical passing that Shaka gives you. So we'll just have to see. But you know what, guys? I, I think... There, there were positives in the second half. A lot of them. Uh, Ozil getting a goal is great. You know, his first trip to Newcastle, he gets up there, he gets a goal. Uh, Paul, I'm kind of curious to get your take on his performance. I think clearly not involved as much as he could have been. He does get the goal, which is great. It was from a very weird period of play. In fact, Shaq is the one overlapping on the left who winds up delivering the cutback. It's one of the first cutbacks like that we've seen since the Chelsea game, and we haven't been using those wide areas. Uh, a lot of that to do with Mkhitaryan coming out. What, what were your thoughts on Ozil's performance in this game? Um, very frustrating, very few touches. Um, and when I watched it, uh, the proverbial second time, uh, I spent a lot of time watching Ozil cause he just didn't get on the ball. Um, and it wasn't for the one to trying he's running. I mean, he, he's playing from the right, but he's not really, he's running to the center. He's running to the left. Uh, his touches are in the center, but a little bit to the right. But he spends plenty of time coming all the way over to the left, just looking for the ball between the lines. And because Newcastle are sitting deep uh, and because we've no confidence to ping the ball forward, which we don't do really till Torreira. If we think about the free kick that got us the goal that you might argue changed the way we game and the way we played and our confidence, it, I'd still argue that, that it was Torreira before the goal because that goal comes from Torreira pinging it up to somebody, uh, whoever's dropping deep. Is it? It's. Uh, I think it's Aubameyang gets tackled, uh, and but that's kind of one of those few times we're pinging up between the the lines. And when you you watch Ozil in the first half and for much of the game, he's working back and forward trying to get a ball off anybody, somebody, anybody passed to him, and. What we're really missing at the moment was is anybody with that that connection to Ozil that we've seen at times in the past. Nobody's really looking for him. Uh, even Chaka, who was lighting it up with passes, wasn't really finding Ozil in particular for me. Uh, I wonder if Torreira can key and keep an eye open to start getting Ozil going because nobody's getting him going. Nobody's finding him. And it's not because he's stopped running around and, and running into space. I just don't think we're yet confident enough to get our heads up and to take a more aggressive pass against a team like Newcastle that sits back. So it's a bit of a conundrum how we're going to get him going. Yeah. Um, and outside of the goal, he didn't do anything very eye-catching. 
No, and mm-hmm. I think the problem is also it, it obviously isolates Bellerin because he just doesn't want to be over there exchanging passes with him. I think he passed it to Bellerin three times. I mean, three? He played the whole game, if I remember correctly, and he's nominally the right wide forward, and he gave it to his fullback three times. So, you know, I mean, that that is a path to to chances that we've seen this season, and it's just not happening with Ozil playing there. And then on the other side, you kind of have the same problem on the other side with, with Aubameyang and... Um, and Nacho Monreal. And so Aubameyang did have one good chance. I think it was even Lacazette who slid the ball to him running on transition, and he, he yeah. fired just wide of the post. But other than that, a quiet day. I mean, Clive, we've got the Ozil issue on one side. We've got the Aubameyang issue on the other. I know you love having Lacazette in there, but if we're going to play Lacazette, I mean, what's your opinion on Aubameyang playing out on that, that left wide forward position? I don't like it, um, but um, it's where we are now. And, and I think... Um, I just think this team is building its confidence, right? So we've won, you know, a, a couple of away games on the trot for the first time since the Battle of Hastings, right? So it's <laughs> like, it's a, it's been a while. So we are really building our confidence. I'm listening to we, stuff we on the We lost to Hastings, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So like, we, I listen to people on the radio talking, Shearer talking about Newcastle saying that. Wouldn't recommend that, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, he said that Arsenal weren't very good. I heard Trevor Brooking talk on the radio saying that when West Ham lost to Arsenal, it was a bad result. And I'm thinking, you know what, sometimes we're so, obviously we're so one-eyed and that we don't realise how far we've fallen. We are really a scalp. We are the top six scalp that people think they can take. They really do. And when we beat them, they're, they're quite disappointed. So where we are in our phase of our development is we're, we're, tri- we're trying to reestablish our name. We're trying to reestablish that we're not a soft touch. And if we go into first halves and we're, and we're nil-nil or we're in games and we are controlling games, and then we press the pedal in the second half and we start to accumulate a number of results, we'll quickly establish ourselves back into the team, into top six that really brings fear when people play us they think when well, we're playing Arsenal maybe we'll we won't put out our best team for that game because we've got another team that we're competing with the week after because that's what people do to Man City that's what people do to Liverpool they don't even try to win them anymore because they because they've built up such a reputation that people are are, are frightened they're not frightened of us Brighton beat us last year you know, Newcastle beat us last year so we're rebuilding ourselves we're building the badge that's only going to come by multiple results in a row. And then eventually we'll get the style, but the results will start to make people think, okay, what are Arsenal doing? And I look at Arsenal, I think, well, what are we doing? And I'm, I, I'm I frequently con- wonder the same thing. <laughs> yeah, what are we doing? And I'll tell you what we're doing. We're, we're working harder. We're, we're more of a unit. We're a little bit more decisive when it counts. We're developing partnerships. I don't think we're even a fifth of the way along the journey. Um, I, I don't think there's a, a formation or a pattern or a style. It's still wrapped up in individuals' performance. But as a group, we seem more focused and a little bit more tactically astute, just a little bit more. Um, but I like the work ethic, which means the teams outside the top six what they do with us is they outrun us, they run us around, and, and we look weak against them, and that's why we look vulnerable away from home. I'm not feeling so vulnerable in these outside top six away games any longer because the work ethic has gone up. And if I also put one thing he's done, I would say that's what he's done. He's made us fitter, harder working, which given us more time for our talent to show 
to get the goals that we need to um, to execute. Well, and let's face it, when you have superior talent, if you can also outwork the opposition, you're half the way there. You know what I mean? Like just running harder, working harder, being more committed in the battles, being able to get up and down the pitch for 90 minutes with inferior opposition, eventually your talent is going to show out. If they are fitter, if they're running harder than you're able to and then than you are, they're able to turn it into a, a dogfight. And so, you know, maybe there is something to the idea that we bring Torreira in second halves and we push a little more up the pitch and he sits and protects that space in front of the back four a little more and suddenly we let our superior talent and physicality win out. I, you know, I don't know what Emery's thinking. What I will say that that's interesting to me, Paul, is it, it doesn't seem like we're pressing the way we were at the start of the season. And maybe no. Emery's idea is against the better teams that want to play out from the back and that want to control the ball will press because transitions are the best way to get goals against those teams. But against the lesser sides, we won't press uh, because they're not trying to play out as much. And if we press and they play long, we're vulnerable. Do you think that the lack of pressure is a concern or do you think it's a plan? Uh, Well, certainly very noticeable in this game. We basically don't do any coordinated pressing. There's a couple of times Lacazette hairs around the place on his own. That's about it. Um, So really no different to previous seasons, I would say. I've decided that maybe pressing at the moment, maybe your take is right. But my guess is that pressing is a phase two implementation thing. We kind of got bigger fish to fry, or as the French say, Nous avons des autres chats à fouetter. We have other cats to whip. They're Take your word cruel. for it. Sure. They're a very, they're a very cruel nation. It's a violent people. Um, so I think he's concerned that it will tear apart what little structure we have, what lis- little tactical discipline we're building at the moment, and that he's decided to back off it, um, and that that's something we'll come back to. He's he's going to focus on building up from the back, which we're not exactly whizzes at at the moment, and getting the midfield thing going and having the the team solid and compact and moving together as as a unit unit. And that that pressing on the front end is just going to kind of tear at the fabric of the team. And so he'll back off for now in a game in which we don't have nearly as much possession. Um, as you say, maybe we have less to lose, and so we'll see more pressing. So that's something to watch out for if we're playing a Chelsea or a City or whatever. But I think he's just dialed off it for now uh, and said, uh, you know, when we get the other shit sorted, when we can work out how to play out from the back, but we're not going to do both. We're not going to take the heat at the back and then apply the heat at the front and and just have our midfield cut adrift from everybody. Yeah, yeah, I think they're both reasonable explanations. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with Emery if he felt that pressing against the smaller clubs who don't want possession could backfire. So we'll have to see how it develops as the season goes on. Clive, I want to introduce another new segment here. The first one went over like a lead balloon, so let's see if we can do worse with this one. Um, To be fair, the first segment really wasn't very thought out. This one's a little more thought out. This is is Stockwatch. How about that? How about a very American concept there? I want you to give me uh, one player whose stock is rising on the heels of this game and one player whose stock is falling on the heels of this game. Okay, so obviously we, I'm not allowed to mention Torreira. Is that too obvious? If anybody mentions Torreira again, they're banned. That's it. This is not the Torreira cast. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Okay. okay well, a player that's um, on the rise, I think, is Socrates, actually. Good I shout. Think, I was uh, hoping someone would pick him. I agree. Well done. Well done. Yeah, I think... Um, He's 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 got a nice calmness about him and a and a no nonsense a no nonsense approach and um, 
I just look at him now, and I always think we've sent the backs and goalkeepers. It's it's a it's an emotion thing. How do you feel, right? So, when when Mustafi gets shot from the crowd, right, and falls over, how did you feel? You sort of like snigger to yourself once <laughs> Socrates came over, right? So uh, you're thinking, what are you doing on the floor, mate? There's no one within ten yards of you. So like um, so but and then when Socrates came out, it's like, ah, oh, that that feels good. That feels good. You know, when Czech gets the ball and kicks it in his own net, you don't feel so good, right? It's it's an emotional thing in those positions. Socrates is starting to make me feel comfortable. And that's a great signing and I think you know, Koscielny has that effect on me. And now Socrates has that effect on me. And I think Mustafi has done well this year. Listen, I'm not going to overly criticize him. He was the better he, of the two in the Cardiff game. I think it's fair yeah, to say. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's really showing some urgency and sharpness and, and really sprinting to the ball a lot more. And he's just not looking so stressed out. Right. So, um, <laughs> And and because of that, neither am I, right? So the two of them did concern me against Cardiff in the air. But I thought they really improved in the air in this game, as did the fullbacks. Well, they had, um, what, seven corners to deal with in the first half? And for the most part, we just about got past them. With the, with the, with those two and Shaka in particular in the air, I thought we looked pretty strong there. So that was that was pleasing to see because we need to be better at that because the lower teams will just swing one in and get set pieces. So that's a definite um, plus. And um, on the downside, yeah. Which stock uh, are you selling? Um, I, I, it's not personal, right? But I, I, I don't want to say. Just it, say right? Aaron but, Ramsey. It's fine if that's what you mean. Yeah, that's what you mean. I, 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 it's but Ramsey for me, right? And I, and because, but I don't think it's all his own fault. If I'm honest, I think um, I'm not sure what he's been asked to do. But you know, we spoke about our three three centimetres in a deeper role. And we sort of like them all. You know, Gwendouzi floats to the right too much, I feel, and doesn't keep his distances. Torreira's much more tactically disciplined, and so Shaka say, look better as a pair. But Gwendouzi's just 19, so there's no problem there. He can play. Um, Aaron Ramsey can play that role. He, he does it differently. He separates going forward in a straight line. So... We're not as secure with the with either of those two. Um, I think Gwendouzi stays behind the ball a little bit more. So Ramsey's a third midfielder, but he's not a number 10. He gets too excited. His instincts take him too close to Lacazette or too close to Ozil, and he puts himself in areas where his body can't cash in. I said something in the back channel, didn't I, about interior players and exterior players. When he's that high... He's too early to the exterior of the team. And when you get on the outside of the team, you've got to have speed to then separate from people. He hasn't got that speed. When he comes from deeper, then he arrives in areas where he can cause damage and danger. He's got a great shot on both feet and great decisions around the last third. When he's already there, I think his instincts take him into dark places where he can't receive the ball. No shots, nothing dangerous. Nothing that came from him that looked dangerous. Bad decisions, bad execution of passes, shoulders in the wrong space, can't see his next pass. This is not good. And I don't think it's all him, though, Elliot. You know, if I could stick the boot in, I will. I just think he's a third midfielder, and we're asking him to play as almost like a second striker. He hasn't got the body for it. He hasn't got the speed. We know he can score a goal, but that's not enough to have someone just running around trying to take passing lanes away from our centre forwards, who we do want to score goals, play a bit deeper, help on the build-up, and then come late and then get shots from the edge of the area. That's what I would ask him to do. 
but at this moment that position is not working and his stock is falling and more and more people are grumbling about the impending contracts around the corner. Well, it's definitely a warning sign because I think, you know, we saw Mesut Ozil capitalize on this situation, even with just a couple months of good form. Uh, I'm not saying it was a mistake to give him that contract, but certainly if we're going to give a big contract to Aaron Ramsey, now would be as good a time as any to remind everybody of his quality. And I think it's a little unfair because obviously, as I referenced earlier, there are a lot of square pegs, very, very talented square pegs being jammed into some very round holes right now. And, mm, round holes. Uh, anyway, but, but I think, you know, Ramsey is certainly among them and it's a little unfair, but I do think when Aaron Ramsey has no shots, you then start to look at him and say, what are we getting from him in other parts of the pitch? Because what makes him unique as a central midfielder is his ability to get in the box and create chances, and he's not doing that right now. So, yeah, I think those are both fair shouts. Uh, Paul, I want to get your rising stock and falling stock as well. So which which stock are you buying, which stock are you selling? So if you'd uh, purchased Chaka stock before this game, I think you could have turned a, a decent profit by the end of the— That's a great shout. 90 good minutes. shout, Paul. Good shout, mate. And it, it's really just my way of picking Terrera. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Paul. But, no, the Terrera cast rumbles on. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, obviously, uh, LT being in place meant Chaka's looking upfield. He's got a little time. He's got his head up. Uh, he knows the ball's probably coming to him. He's facing up that way. And he starts pinging his passes around and, you know, increases his output by 50% in the second half. Um, and you really start to understand why you want a Chaka in your team with Torreira to his right. Uh, he m- moved a little further forward. He had time. He had uh, space. Uh, even picking it up from the back four or five players as they ping it around. Uh, Torreira bought him extra space when he received the ball. So he all starts to make sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I mean, I think, you know, when, you, when you're looking for a stock to buy, sometimes p- penny stocks can be enticing. Um, you know, Granite Shaka was catching dogs abuse just a couple of games ago. And I think part of the problem is just that he, he does have liabilities. We know what those liabilities are. But his partnership with Ganduzi maybe hasn't allowed him to demonstrate his strengths. And when Torreira's come on, we've seen him be able to be more – uh, effective breaking lines with his vertical passing, maybe getting a little bit I- into the positions where he's capable of making those intermediate value passes that he's so good at. And and he did it again the second half of this game. So uh, what would you say would be your your uh, other stock, the, the other direction? Um, I'd be tempted to follow up on Clive's Ramsey, but more of a Ramsey-Ozel. Uh, the, the idea that those two can play in the same team took a significant knock, especially if Aubameyang is on the pitch. There's three players who aren't great at either getting touches or holding on to the ball. But I think overall I'd go with Aubameyang on the left. Not not Aubameyang per se, Mm -hmm. but the idea that we won't lose much, uh, but maybe we'll have a very strong uh, wide forward from the left. It just didn't pan out that way. And it wasn't for the want of effort. I mean, we'll all remember his diagonal run, uh, the length of the pitch to fill in at centre-back uh, as as they attacked us down the left in the first half. I mean, he literally ran the the length of the pitch, starting with marking Diami and seeing the threat went all the way to the uh, right-back position to fill in. So 
I think he worked his ass off as a wide forward. Uh, he just doesn't really have the touch and control to be a a quality option there. Um, he he did drift into the middle and get, take up good positions, but we never really found him. Maybe that would have changed the narrative if he'd got on the end of a ball across the six-yard box. But when that doesn't happen, he doesn't give us that much. You could say something similar about Ozil. And Ramsey was kind of okay in this game, not great. And I think you can't look at any one of those players without considering the other two when they play together. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. This is what's difficult, right, is a lot of the players who you would stay, say their stock is falling are players who would prefer to be playing in another position. And, you know, I, I think Shaka would be a great example of someone whose stock was falling and then he gets Torreira next to him and his stock is rising because he gets the partner he needs. Um, you know, Mesut Ozil, was it the Cardiff game where he moved a little more central second half and played much better, was much more influential. Uh, obviously had a goal this game, but as we discussed, maybe not as uh, involved as you're used to seeing Mesut Ozil be. I think Lacazette's stock is fairly high right now, but a lot of that is based on the fact that he's playing the position he'd like. I think you'd have to say that you know he, he is benefiting from playing where he'd like to be playing. So we'll have to see how it pans out. I, I think the manager has some really difficult decisions to make because... Ultimately, we are now far enough into the season where he probably has a sense of the kind of players he has, and I'm sure he's smart enough to know, you know what, Mkhitaryan has really been more effective in those wide spaces. I mean, even the the brief cameo we had in this game, I thought he made a big difference. Um, Even when Danny Welbeck came on, I think it made a difference. And he must see Aubameyang struggling. Aubameyang looked unhappy to be coming off when he did, and you want to see that from your star players. You don't want them to be happy to be substituted, but I think he knew that he hadn't really been as involved as he'd like to be on the you know, in, in the box and on the end of chances. So he's going to have to start to decide, am I going to keep picking my big names or am I going to start picking players that look comfortable in these positions? And I'll be very, very curious to see how he handles it. So the good news is, with all of that having been said, it's three points. Um, we are nine points into Project 24 with nine points collected. That means it's 15 points left. I, once again, just have to give Scott huge credit for coming up with the title Project 24. Um, Clive, I think you'd have to agree that he, he played a blinder there. Um, I'm saying nothing at all. <laughs> everybody, if you're just joining us, the Project 24 thing was Clive's. Clive came up with it. It's Clive's idea. Um, but let's move on just really quickly now to the Europa League because we are playing, it says here, Vorskla. Uh, at the Emirates this Thursday, our Europa League campaign kicks off. So let's just bullet point this really quickly, Clive. What are a couple of things, just two or three things that you're looking forward to from this game in the Europa League in general uh, as part of our group stage campaign? Um, well, I think the under-23s play, maybe even tonight, I think. Um, and Smith Rowe and Eddie are not in that team. So that tells me they're going to be, hopefully, involved in, in, in that game. And I think that would be good. I, I think we're, I said something at the weekend, that in the team that we have right now, we are developing a new set of leaders in this group. And um, But what we have to do is prepare the next layer of young players. I think... Those young players are the most important group of young players we've ever had because we have a pretty old, top-heavy, expensive squad that we're not going to get a lot of resale value on. And so it is critical that those players not just 
you know, play for Arsenal, but actually really be effective and do well, you know, to be Champions League players. So we really need four or five of them we can all name to really hit the mark. Because I think otherwise it's going to be a problem sustaining our squad going forward. So I, these games are more important for our future than many people realise. And how they come through when Maitland-Niles comes back, Smith-Rowe, Eddie, when Nelson comes back, these players are critical to us. Guendouzi is one of those players. He's 19. He's in that age group. He's getting first-team football because of experience in France. And, and players like Bellerin and Terrell are just at the top end of that. So that's the future of our club right there. So we need to focus on these games. We look at how they're developing. These games in the Europa League and the Carabao Cup are absolutely critical to Arsenal next season because those players will be filling our benches and coming on and having to deliver as we start to basically renew the squad from the um, from the top down. Yeah, this is where I, I just wish that he had started uh, Torreira against Newcastle because he could have just subtly shifted Genduzzi into the Europa League squad. You know what I mean? He could have could have started Torreira and Shaka in Newcastle and then Genduzzi starts on Thursday. And I, I don't think there would have been any problem with that. And he's got enough experience playing with the first team now that he, he you know, he feels like an experienced inclusion, but he is still just nineteen and it's a good way for him to get up to speed and and hone his skills, admittedly against much lesser opposition, but build some confidence and, and maybe get back to some of that more progressive play that we saw earlier in the season and in the preseason. Paul, what are a couple of things you're looking forward to specifically on Thursday and for the group stages in general? As a player, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, uh, ESR, Emil Smith-Rowe, uh, getting a run out. Um, uh, he, he looks like a talent who can... Uh, really take us forward in a couple of years' time. So that's going to be exciting. I'm intrigued to see who starts in midfield, assuming El Nani, if it'll be Torreira or Gwen, and what that indicates maybe about the Sunday. But he could do exactly what he did uh, this time around and have each of them play a half, keeping them nice and fresh. Uh, and so we'll be none the wiser before Sunday. Uh, Mavropanos. Uh, obviously has an opportunity this year to step forward. So that's going to be exciting. And of course, with Leno playing out from the back, that's going to be the real um, first look. I mean, he really didn't get much of a run even in preseason. So this is really the first time we'll have a look at what Leno is like playing out from the back and how the other players are adapting to the style. So uh, it could be the most informative view of how Arsenal can play out of the back beyond Czech uh, improving more over time. And he, he obviously has a ceiling to what he can do. So that's kind of intriguing how much of an emphasis we we put on playing out from the back and maybe if we'll institute some more pressing uh, with this team, a young team with good legs. So They do have some nice legs. I, You know, I, I think one of the things that's interesting too is it gives us a chance to maybe really solidify in our minds. I, I think we can all agree. None of us know exactly who Emery is going to pick in any given game, although maybe we're starting to get a little glimpse of some of his favorites. But as the Europa League campaign starts and the Carabao Cup kicks in, my guess is he'll want to sprinkle in some experienced players with the youth. I don't think he's just going to put out a U23 side altogether. So we might start to get a sense of who really is squarely second team. You know what I mean? If Mkhitaryan's starting on Thursday, for example, if Awobi's starting on Thursday, 
I, I think it's already looking like those players are the the rotational options. But if they're starting uh, Europa League games, and that really lets you know he's going to stick with Ozil and Ramsey, Aubameyang, Lacazette, that kind of thing. Um, and so that, that'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. I also think it could be enjoyable. You know, the one thing about the Europa League is it's just a very low-stakes competition because you feel we can be bad and probably still make it out of the group pretty comfortably and probably top the group pretty comfortably. So this is a chance to just sort of see Emery's plan maybe take shape in a lower stress environment, which is kind of nice because as much as we're all supposed to be trusting the process, I still think the Premier League feels very stressful because we are ultimately all kind of fingers and toes crossed that we can get into the top four. So, you know, a couple of games to see the youth players, to see maybe a few of the experienced players in Emery's system get a chance to shine against weaker opposition, and hopefully you, you get one of those six or seven nils that's just good for the club in general, builds that that spirit and togetherness. So... Be looking forward to that. Now, look, he could shock us all and start Aubameyang and Lacazette, Nozel, and Ramsey, and just go balls out for the first couple of games of the Europa League. I, I don't imagine he will, but we will find out soon enough. I mean, let's remember this is a manager who has a very uh, prestigious track record in this competition. Uh, he won it what three times in a row? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this this will be a trophy that he will be targeting as something that he he will back himself to win and. Maybe he'll want to take it very, very seriously from the start, but I, I tend to doubt that. So let's finish the podcast with this just really, really quickly. Clive, Gazidis is gone. He's off to AC Milan. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I don't think any of us do, but do you have any sort of parting words for our um, our once great uh, CEO who, who famously said that uh, we could do things that would surprise people and, and he has done something that surprised us all and left for Milan? Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed um, because I thought it'd be he'd be part of the new era, right? So we don't know much oh, about. Oh, he's going to be part of a new era, <laughs> just not here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much. You know, we we can we can see how he operates. He's a stick operator, great communicator, and he's been out of the helm for nine years. Um, and some of those years have been very tough for him. But he has moved the club forward. But again, I, I again, I'm I'm one for I'm always one for renewal of people, Elliot. It doesn't it doesn't worry me too much. We're all replaceable, I'm afraid, and um, it's just how we replace them. And the club is going through significant change, right? And um, I was hoping that Casillas would move on to the board and start to change that. But when I had those thoughts, we had you know dual ownership. Now we're moving towards single ownership, and so you know the next phase of Arsenal is going to be all about what that board looks like, what our ambition is when we have a single owner and and what our new CEO is going to look like and what his project's going to be. And so maybe, you know what, that was just a natural change that has to happen. We thought he would be in it for a long haul, but these guys are businessmen, right? You offer them two or three million, what are they going to do? They're going to do something about that. They're going to take it. So um, it's a shame because it makes us feel like a bit of a financial pawn, but that's life, right? Just got to suck it up and see where we go next. Yep, Paul. Any thoughts? Um, fuck them, onwards and upwards. Um, I do wonder if it tells us something about the relationship between Gazidis and Josh and Stan. Uh, will we don't know? Maybe we'll never know. But maybe this is the right thing because they weren't as aligned as we might have assumed over the last 12, 18, 24 months. And so maybe this is just a reflection of the fact that all was not rosy in the garden. 
Um, so let them get a guy who's on the same page as them. If it turns out to be Josh, that'll be interesting. You could argue either side of that, whether that's good or bad. Obviously, uh, knowing where the checkbook is, having your dad behind you. But whoever it is, uh, you would think Josh will have quite a bit of say in terms of the profile of the guy. Um, and maybe that's the cranky stepping forward into truly owning and driving the club forward. Maybe it's not, but there could be real opportunity here. And I don't think, maybe Ivan did it just for the money, but I think there's more to it than that. Either there's a massive payoff if they turn Inter Milan around, in which case, okay, it could be for the money. If if it's not about money, then I don't see anything more appealing in uh, Inter Milan than, or in, in terms of Milan than uh, Arsenal. And so I think it speaks to the lack of alignment between Gazidis and the Crankies, so so be it. Let's start with a clean sheet. I I did read that there might be an equity opportunity for him. If that's the case, yeah. it's really hard to suggest that he shouldn't take that job. I mean, look, we yeah. can have it a could feeling. Be a huge upside. Yeah. If if they because that's what Elliot. No offense, man. Elliot is all about as an organization. It's it's turnaround. So they he might be getting paid a higher salary, but there could be a huge upside if they sell it. I can imagine that yeah. clause I'll, in there. I'll put it this way. I heard, Go ahead. I was going to say I heard he's on about he'll get about three to four million, which is about a million uptick, and he gets stock as well. Yeah. Um, so that could be multi millions. And the thing is, you know, I feel sorry for I feel sorry for Emery actually because. Because he is obviously a big part of that employee, in, in being employed. He's obviously somebody he was working with. Within a, within five games, he, he the guy that employed him was gone. We know that Cronky's actually interviewed him as well, so he's not like unknown to the rest of the um, the board, etc. But I feel sorry for him a little bit because he's lost a key ally, and it'd be interesting to see who replaced him to make the manager feel like he's well supported. Because that's the key job of the board to support the manager. Five games in, the CEO's gone. I wonder how he's feeling this evening. Well, I'll put it this way. I have no problem with him leaving for money. That's ultimately why all of us do the things we're doing mostly. I mean, there, there are some of us who are better than that and above that. But what I will say is that I think he's put us in a precarious position in the sense that he's taken a huge shit in our toilet and walked out of the party. I mean, he, you know, he presumably was in charge of what happened with Emery. And I do believe that there was a strong link to Mikel Arteta and a strong desire to bring in Arteta. And there was something that caused that to shift at the 11th hour. I do believe that. Um, I believe he brought in and was hugely influential in Mislintat and Sayeni, Sayeni, Raul, Raul coming in <laughs> as part of the backroom staff and ultimately employing Emery. And he's pulled those people together. And who knows what the circumstance behind closed doors was? Who knows who was lobbying for Arteta versus Emery? But he's left. He's left Emery wondering if he has the support of the people that he's left behind. Uh, he's left the people in the backroom staff, Mislintat and Raul, wondering if they have the support of the board and if they can continue to operate the way they were promised by Gazidis. So I think it creates uncertainty with everybody. If I'm Emery, I'm wondering how precarious my situation may have been versus what I was told. Same if I'm Sayeni and, and Mislintat, and I don't think any of that is good. Uh, having said that, I don't think he was a particularly effective chief executive. I don't think he should be involved in the footballing side of the business because he doesn't know anything about it. And I think the commercial deals he put in place were par or worse by and large. So ultimately, I don't know how much of a loss it is. And if AC Milan are willing to overpay for him because he's a friend of theirs, 
so be it. I, I think the biggest issue is just any destabilizing impact it could have on the the sense of comfort and uh confidence in the people that he's leaving behind to be allowed to go do their job i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if josh Kroenke comes in and and runs the business side of things only because it can't hurt to have the son of the owner as the guy who sometimes has to go to the owner and ask for for funds for purchases or things like that i don't know i mean maybe, maybe that's a stretch i think we can he, leave it he's th- not going to want to be booed out of the emirates no. that's for sure so uh, he knows where the checkbook is. No, and it's not just pure nepotism in the sense that, I mean, he was running a professional sports franchise over here, um, the Denver Nuggets. So, I mean, he has, he has some experience. Again, no knowledge of football, really, but I would prefer that those people not have uh, impact uh, or influence over the footballing decisions, and hopefully Raul and Mislintat and Emery will be the ones making those decisions. And I will say, you know, I, I am still put off by the way Gazidis insinuated himself into the entire PR exercise of introducing Emery. Uh, it was clear that he wanted to give it large and stand in front of the cameras and have the spotlight on him and have his big moment. And I just think that that was a really bad show from him. And I'm sure we'll find someone else who's just as good at showing someone what the tunnel is uh, going forward. So, you know, fuck off, Gazidis. We don't need you. Anyway, um, I think we can leave it there. And, and look, I am really, really excited for the direction the club is going with the other people that are still at the club. So I don't, I don't think there's any reason to panic just yet. In any event, uh, we will talk to you after the Vorskill game. Until that time, uh, Paul's on Twitter at Paws in My Pants. Thanks, Paws. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Project 15. It's what we're down to now. Doesn't sound as hard, does it? And we've got, what, like four home games in a row? We've got Europa, we've got Premier League, we've got Carabao, and then I think another Premier League game at home. So, you know, the, things could be looking up, and, and Spurs are in a bit of trouble, and United don't look great, and, you know, it's not it's not doom and gloom, that's for sure. So I'm, I'm feeling okay about it. Uh, we will probably try to do another halftime show in the near future, and thanks to everyone who joined us for that. It is posted on Patreon, but it is free there. So if you want to get a sense of what the halftime shows are like, uh, you can go to our Patreon, and you can listen whether you're a patron or not. If you are one... Thank you so much. If you're not, still, thank you for listening. We really appreciate you. And we will talk to you after what is very possibly going to be Arsenal 10. Four Skill News.